the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Ministry of the Week Sunday message. This is Dave Naderhood, and it is my privilege each week to help shine a spotlight into things that God is doing all around the Bay Area. As we do this each week, it's just a real privilege for me to be able to see how God is on the move in little tiny churches and also in great big businesses. And we uh, are able to uh, celebrate the things that God is doing. It God is on the move in the Bay Area. We really believe that here at KFAX, and we see that there is um, uh, a movement of God that has begun, and we were, we want to highlight that in in ways that we any way that we can with the interviews. If you missed this past week's interviews, uh, you can find them on our website kfax.com. Look under the Ministries tab there for the Ministry of the Week. And um, today is no exception. Oftentimes we highlight a church and uh, tell people that if, if you don't yet have a church home, you can go check this place out, whether it's the North Bay or the East Bay or down in the South Bay. Um, this week we had opportunity to highlight what God's doing in the business world. And my guest was Skip Vaccarello. He is an author of a book called Finding God in Silicon Valley. And there's a blog by that same name that actually led to the book. Uh, there's He's also the chair of the Silicon Valley Prayer Breakfast uh, Committee. And Skip is with us in studio today. So in case you missed any of those interviews with Skip, uh, again, go to those uh, on kfax.com, uh, grab the podcast, and give a listen. Uh, but Skip, uh, welcome. Thanks for being with us all this past week on Ministry of the Week. Oh, thanks so much, Dave. I've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun to have you here and to hear how God took those those inklings of your own testimony. And if you don't mind, for anybody who missed it, I'd just love for you to kind of uh, just hit some of the highlights that we talked about this past week and share with our audience uh, before we hear today's message. Uh, share how God took your own journey from uh, being a business leader to coming to follow Christ. And then, uh, I mean, sometimes I hear about guys who then say, well, okay, well, I got to get out of this secular business world, and I'm going to go into full-time ministry. That wasn't your call at all, was it? <laughs> no, not at all. I uh, you know, Just briefly, my own testimony is I grew up uh, attending the church, but I grew away from it for about 20 years, mm-hmm. came to Silicon Valley in 1979, and it was really it was all about career and family, and then God touched my life uh, when I found that even though I was re- achieving some success, you know, that I knew that there was something more to life. Uh, and and I, f- I found God in the process. So I came to faith in the in mid-1980s, and then God put really two things on my heart. One was to live out my faith day-to-day in business, and you know I've been a CEO of some technology companies and, and so on, but to live out that faith day-to-day in business was one, and the second was to really help those people on their spiritual journeys, people that do not yet know Christ. Uh, and that really led me to writing the book, and blog, Finding God in Silicon Valley, and sharing the Silicon Valley Prayer Breakfast. It's the whole power of storytelling. We can debate theology and philosophy, but it's hard to debate how God has touched someone's life. And so 
that, yeah. that, that led me to those. Mm-hmm. That's so true. You have a, a, a people, if they feel cornered by, uh, let's say, a street corner preacher, <laughs> right? Uh, they might even get back in that person's face. I've watched this happen, you know, uh, with a thousand and one arguments against God's existence or why they're a good person and they don't need uh, whatever's being sure. uh, shouted at them. Uh, and yet, if you find people who, I mean, the only objection possible is that uh, if someone hears a testimony, they can say, well, no, that didn't happen to you. <laughs> I, mean, I refuse to believe that that happened to you. Sure, you know, I suppose that's their only that's their only defense. That's the only defense. Point. But you right. know, you can you can often you can see people how their lives were transformed yeah. after they came to Christ. And you know, it's it, it is it's it's hard to argue with that. I mean, right. certainly people could disagree and say, well, that's not true, and something else happened. But mm. it's a very very. Stories are very, very powerful, and of course, the greatest storyteller of all time was Jesus. He that's used right. stories to reach people. That's right, and 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 that's what the apostles went out and did. They didn't, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they didn't come up with. In fact, Paul says, "Fine-sounding arguments got me nowhere. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> got him into the, you know, uh, got him to the top of the class with the Pharisees, but <laughs> right. it didn't get him too far with Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but sharing his story again and again. How many times in Acts does he say about how God knocked me off my horse, right, mm-hmm. and uh, and brought me to my knees? And that story was. Uh, 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 the the center point of everywhere that Paul went as a businessman, right? Mm-hmm. A, a tent yes. maker. I mean, that's where right. we get this phrase. Paul was a tent maker. The the apostles were uh, fishermen and other kinds of businessmen. I mean, these guys were um, uh, people who Jesus said, "I want to transform your life so that you can." Do the same two things that I'm calling Skip to do 2,000 years later. Live it out and help people know Christ. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the power of, power of stories. Yeah. I, uh, I, as much as I appreciated the seminary training of, of learning apologetics and systematic theology and everything else, uh, you don't hear Jesus commanding people to go and systematize the faith. Sure. You don't I mean, hear. <laughs> it's good to know that. I mean, it's yeah. good to know we all should know how to defend our faith. Uh, certainly, but it's it's really the stories, and I guess that you know my sense is we we all have a story, mm. uh, and and you know we can affect people around us by just letting them know how God has affected us. That's right, and and, and hopefully they'll see it in us the way that we work, uh, if it's in the business or wherever we work, and you know with humility, with integrity, and so on. So stories are very very powerful. A couple of the things that you touched on this week that uh, really stood out to me, one was this idea that uh, faith at work uh, or work as worship is a, uh, it, it really is a different way of viewing uh, the call into work that the, than maybe a lot of people uh, would say, well, yeah, Skip, you were the CEO, you know, uh, I, I'm... I'm down 400 levels down and <laughs> under the uh, the weight of uh, a boss who can't stand me or, you know, I'm just showing up for a paycheck or whatever your case may be today. Uh, you know, the call is the same, whether it's the person who founded the company or a person who is uh, cleaning up desks after 5 p.m. I mean, really, it's to do the work. How did you put it this past week? To do the work uh, unto the Lord, right? Right, to do the work yeah, unto the Lord, which is in Colossians Three twenty-three to mm. to work heartily is working for the Lord, not for men. Y- yes, we have human bosses, and uh, but the idea is to work to, to really stand out, to stand out among other people by not only our work ethic, uh, but also by humility, by the character that we display at work. 
so that's that's all how we can glorify God uh, yeah. when we're at work. Yeah, Amen. I I think that uh, I hope that that is encouragement. It certainly is. It is to me, uh, like probably most of the people listening. Uh, you know, I come to work some days, and you you have to find your way into work despite yourself because you'd rather turn the car in the direction of the beach or someplace else, <laughs> or call in sick. But there are days where you just say, "All right, God, I need." I need the power of the risen Christ to transform my my mind and my thinking and my heart about my work, right? I mean, uh, this is itself a part of uh, laying down worship. The same way that when you go to church on Sunday, that uh, you, you're showing up and, you know, you know whatever, the, the devil works hard on Sunday mornings to distract mm-hmm. us from going into worship, right? And I think that the same thing is so true when we're, when we're heading in on Monday morning. I like how Ed Savosa says it. He says, the goal for Marketplace Ministry is to help people love Mondays as much as they love Sundays. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's a great, great way to say it. It's a great mm-hmm. phrase. The message that we're going to hear today is from uh, one of the past prayer breakfasts. Uh, and the Silicon Valley prayer breakfast is held each year. And uh, uh, this year, uh, no exception, April 1st, this coming Friday, we're going to have opportunity uh, to hear a couple of great speakers. But uh, if you don't mind, can you just, uh, we're going to hear a message delivered by Pat Gelsinger. And is that um, uh, from a couple of years ago? Yes, Pat Pat spoke a couple of years ago. A very powerful message. Pat, of course, is the uh, the CEO of VMware. Uh, an amazing testimony. Sometimes we're all hesitant to talk about our faith at work, but, but Pat does it openly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about VMware as being his congregation. That must drive his <laughs> HR department crazy. <laughs> but, I mean, he, he's yeah. a great example. But yeah, Pat, uh, wonderful talk. And he talked also about balancing uh, uh, family, faith, and work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a message. A very powerful talk. And Pat, of course, is also uh, was the founder of Transforming the Bay with Christ. Mm-hmm. He got together with business leaders um, nonprofit leaders, pastors in the Bay Area. And, and in this message, he'll touch on transforming the Bay with Christ. As it was just getting started then at that point. It was, it was just, couple, it was just getting ago. started. Right. Just getting started. And, and, and the whole idea is to unify the Christian community, uh, to serve, uh, to, to demonstrate um, who we are as people of, of love by serving the, the community and also to help facilitate the planning of churches. Right. I think they've uh, finally uh, sort of whittled that down. I remember there was sort of 12 planks at first they were talking about. <laughs> they, have it, they have it now uh, fine-tuned down into those three words, uh, amplify, unify, and multiply, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. amplify. So amplify good uh, good deeds as, as they're done in the name of Christ around the Bay. Uh, unify around the principles of, of, of prayer and uh uh, and and working be- between and beyond b- denominational boundaries, and then multiply through church planting and other means. Um, so TBC was an initiative that Pat Gelsinger got uh, got started. We're going to hear um, this in just a, a moment, uh, a, a message from Pat from a couple of years ago. But um, before we do, Skip, if you don't mind, uh, share with us about this this year's speakers. Sure. This year we have uh, two great speakers. Uh, uh, one is Henry Kaysner. Henry is the, uh, the one of the founders of, of Sovereigns Capital. This is a venture capital firm that, that invests in Christian-led businesses uh, here in the, in, in the U.S. as well as overseas. He was also co-founder of a company called Bandwidth.com, in which he, again, the way he led that business was to help people lead balanced lives. So he's one of the speakers. The other is Connie Segreto. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connie is an executive with Deloitte. 
Uh, and she's also uh, has a on her heart to help the disadvantaged. So she started something called Sam's Camp, uh, science, arts, uh, and math as well as on the board of Lighthouse for Women. So those are the two keynote speakers. We're also having Kirk Perry, last year's speaker, come back for a big brief segment. He ended his talk last year talking about he had just been diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And he's going to give us a bit of an update on that at the prayer breakfast. So Excellent. it should be a terrific event. Excellent. Well, as we uh, get ready to hear this message, uh, it's our prayer that God will uh, soften your heart to uh, just to hear the story of Pat's faith and, and actually just to prepare your heart to enter the work week tomorrow uh, as worship, not as uh, a, a drudgery or just a task or just a paycheck, uh, but really to find faith at work in your own journey. And perhaps if you don't uh, yet have a walk with Christ and uh, you've been exploring these spiritual questions, uh, we hope that t- today you will... Uh, hear a, a story of faith, uh, that you will be drawn closer to Jesus, and that uh, in coming to know Christ, you will see that same transformation take place that so many other people have, that you'd be able to live out your faith, not just uh, a Sunday show up once in a while type of faith, but a, uh, a seven-day-a-week uh, lived-out faith in Christ. Uh, Skip, thanks so much for being with us. Dave, it's been such a pleasure to be here uh, with you this week. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. If you want to find out more about this Friday's uh, prayer breakfast, go to svpb.net. Again, that's for siliconvalleyprayerbreakfast.net. To find out more about Skip and his book and his blog, go to findinggodinsiliconvalley.com. And now, here's our Ministry of the Week Sunday message. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It is uh, great to be here today. Some familiar faces and many people that uh, I look forward to getting to know much better. And uh, yes, my wife Linda is here, uh, the uh, love of my life, and uh, you know who's uh, support me and uh, by my side. And as you'll see, a very uh, interesting journey. So Linda, thank you for joining us today. Uh, let me start just giving a little bit of my testimony and a little bit of my personal uh, journey. I'm uh, originally a Pennsylvania farm boy, uh, you know, the Amish, they were the ultra-conservative, the Mennonite, and then we were the Pennsylvania Dutch or the Pennsylvania Germans, where I come from, so the liberals, right, in comparison. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, went to United Church of Christ Church back there. I was baptized with full knowledge of what I was doing when I was six days old. Uh, we... Uh, uh, went to church every Sunday because if I didn't, I'd get in trouble from dad and, of course, meet girls and impress their mothers and grandmothers. It's good to go to church, right? Uh, and became president of the youth group. Always thought I was a Christian uh, growing uh, up there. My dad was a, uh, the eighth of nine kids. So, and grandpa was a farmer, and he helped son number one buy a farm, son number two, son-in-law number one, and got down to my dad at number eight and said, there's enough farms in the family, just go work with your brothers. So growing up, I always thought I was going to be a farmer, and as I got to be a teenager, it's sort of like, what's a, what's a, a farmer without a farm, right? And the cousins were growing up and so on, so it became apparent I was going to have to pursue something else. I accidentally uh, took a scholarship exam in uh, 10th grade. I won a scholarship to go get my associate's degree, so I ended up skipping my last year of high school, got my associate's degree, so literally I graduated in June from high school, and I graduated in August with my two-year degree. 
Uh, Intel came recruiting uh, at the time. The guy, uh, Ron J. Smith, uh, came there. And I was the 12th, you know, there's a sort of an industry-wide shortage of technicians, so he came there to, you know, interview technicians in Pennsylvania. He lived, I think he just wanted the free trip to the East Coast. His parents lived close to my parents. So he comes recruiting, and I was the 12th person that he interviewed. And have you ever interviewed 12 people in one day? Right, by, you know, by number 10, you can't recognize male from female, right? <laughs> and, and Ron got to me as number 12, and this is what he wrote. Smart, aggressive, arrogant. He'll fit right in, right? <laughs> so I, I get invited, you know, so I'm a Pennsylvania boy, and I get invited to come and interview at Intel. And I'm like, Woohoo! I've never been on the plane before. It took me like two nanoseconds to decide, you know, a free trip to California. But I'm a Pennsylvania boy. They're, they're, they're all crazy out there in California. I'm not going there. But uh, Intel offered me a job. So I'm, uh, and uh, the, the reason I came to Intel was they had a full tuition reimbursement, a very liberal tuition reimbursement. And I only had one career objective when I moved to California was I wanted to be the engineer telling the technician what to do. So I took the job, I moved out here uh, at 18 years old, right, can you, yeah, 18 years old, moved to the West Coast, I mean, I wouldn't let my kids do that, but anyway. Uh, so, and I come here and I start working uh, full-time at Intel, start doing my bachelor's at Santa Clara University, did my master's uh, at Stanford, and was working my, my uh, uh, PhD at Stanford. And I had gone to church every Sunday, so Sunday comes around, what do you do to meet girls? You go to church. I've been doing this my whole life, so I go to church. And sure enough, that first Sunday, I met Linda. <laughs> but she didn't like me very much at the time. And, yeah, it was, not, it was not affection. But you know, I start going to church there. Linda and the, uh, uh, young, uh, the young adults group sort of adopts me and uh, starting to participate. And she asked me this question, are you a Christian? And what's my answer? Sure. I was baptized at six days old, present youth group, church every Sunday, what else is there? But as I started to be embraced by this uh, Santa Clara Christian Church off of Bowers Avenue, it became apparent to the entire group that I was far from that lifestyle the rest of my life. And uh, the sermon topic on, uh, in February of 1980 was Revelation 3, 15 and 16. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that word spit, spew, vomit, you know, it's one of the most graphic words in the entire New Testament. And I realized that my lifestyle that day was lukewarm at best. And that day in February of 1980, I made the commitment that I was going to be hot for God and hot for his kingdom. And maybe some of you are like me today, that you're lukewarm, that you just like hanging around with us Christians because we're cool and fun. <laughs> But I would challenge you today, if you're not hot for God, what are you doing here? Many of you were invited, many of you don't know Christ that are here. Don't leave this place today without talking to your table host, the people who are there, and saying, I need to accept Christ and be hot for the kingdom of God. So in February of 1980, I was baptized as an adult, this time with full knowledge of what I did committed to become hot for the kingdom. So this is great. I'm working at Intel, right? I'm going to school. I'm loving this stuff. I mean, I am just eating up, right? You know, microprocessor architecture. I mean, I love this stuff, right? You know, I would show up for class having finished the entire textbook on the first day of class. I mean, I was really into this. You did not want me in your class. 
And a couple of months after becoming a Christian, I feel this incredible call from God to go into full-time ministry. And I'm like, God, what's the matter with you? Right, this young Christian. Right, says, I don't want to be like Herman Hamilton or somebody like that. You know, I, I don't want to be. A, I don't want to be a minister. Right, I'm meant to be in this computer stuff. And I struggled with this for months. And finally, after struggling and just feeling this incredible burden to go into full-time ministry, I finally said, Okay, God, I give up. And I laid a few weeks before God, and I said, If this happens, I will go into full-time ministry. And as soon as I did that, it was like the scales fell from my eyes, and it was, the workplace is your ministry. And since then, my life verse has been Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that it's the Lord Christ whom you serve. Right? You know, uh, it is the reward of the inheritance right, that you will receive. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And that verse has become my life verse. Since then, that the workplace is my ministry, and I'm committed to being a full-time minister. My challenge to those of you who are Christians today, a few vocational ministers, but those of you who are not, are you full-time ministers in the workplace, in the marketplace, right, in the home place, in the school place, wherever you might be? Because if you've accepted the name of Jesus Christ, he's called you into full-time ministry. So how many of you are full-time ministers today? Let's try it again. How many of you are full-time ministers today? <laughs> because if you've taken on that name, and today my congregation is named VMware, and I have 16,000 congregants as part of my church named VMware. I mentioned that to one of my pastor friends. Yeah. I mentioned that to one of my pastor friends, and he says, you know, Pat, if I paid my congregants as much as you paid yours, I could probably get more to attend. <laughs> So I'm working full-time, I'm going to school full-time, and I met this young lady named Linda. And this is what I call my juggling years. And Linda and I, uh, uh, she took pity on me. There was no romantic interest when we first met, but she invites me to Christmas with her mom and grandma, right? Uh, took pity on me, I'm this poor orphan guy on the West Coast for Christmas in 1979. And you know, wh what am I gonna do, right? You know, I have no other place to go, right? Three generations of good cooks, worst thing, I get a good meal out of it, right? Not a lot of downside for a single 18 year old on the West Coast, so I go over, meet mom and meet grandma, and grandma and I just hit it off great, right? We, you know, she, you know, play this card, grandma, and someone like that. You know, I just had a great evening. I leave that first night that I ever met her, never met her before, leave that first night, Grandma closes the door. She's a holy woman of God, right? She turns to Linda and says, he's the one. <laughs> Linda begins to enumerate all of my shortcomings, which were numerous. A couple of months later, Linda's mom has gotten to know me. We're still not dating or anything at all. A couple of months later, Linda's mom said he's the one. And Linda now has more things on the, the shortcoming list. Well... We uh, uh, eventually began dating a few months later, and I'm on the slow road to matrimony. Right? I'm going to finish my bachelor's, finish my master's, finish my PhD, and then maybe thinking about getting uh, married. God had a very different plan. Linda had endometriosis. She ended up having surgery. One of her ovaries removed, uh, part of the second one removed, and the doctor said, kids now or never. I'm on the slow boat to matrimony. And we're just dating. And after a painful, painful year, we decide we're going to get married. 
And uh, you know, we get married, the doctor said, you know, kids now or never. So now full-time work, full-time school, being married, a young Christian. And if you could bring up the picture now, this is our family. And in the center, uh, uh, center is our daughter, Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth is named after the mother of John the Baptist uh, from the barren womb. Right, so we named Elizabeth, and on uh, your uh, right-hand side is Josiah, our second son. Uh, Josiah works at Seagate in the M&A uh, department. They brought forward our first uh, grandchild, uh, Georgiana, and his wife, uh, Carly. On the far other side is our son, Nathan, our third child. Uh, Nathan is a youth minister in Oregon, uh, married to uh, Rachel, and they brought forward our second grandchild, uh, Alice. And in the center, in the back, is Micah. And Micah, when he was seven years old, uh, Linda had this rule, when you went to bed, if you, weren't if you weren't bleeding or vomiting, you stayed in bed, right, to the kids. I mean, it was pretty firm. And uh, Micah comes down one night, and uh, Linda's like, well, you get back to bed, you're the normal. And uh, Micah is, you know, you just tell, he's very emotional, and he says, God's called me to be a missionary. Now what do I do? At seven years old. And he lived his life from seven to 16 through the lens of, if it doesn't help me be a missionary, why am I doing it? I thought it was just a good excuse not to do homework, but he was <laughs> to it. At 16 years old, he starts wandering away from the family, starts wandering from Christ, becomes our prodigal son, who we had no communication with for four years. None at all. Um, in July of last year, it comes known to uh, Linda and I that Micah has no transportation. And uh, so I send Micah a mail, and I said, you know, Micah, your bike's in my garage collecting dust. Can I give you our bike? So we worked out to give him the bike and, you know, get it to him. He sends a mail. Thank you very much. About a week later, I get a mail back from him, and I'm, I'm certain that there's now an angel bike thief because his bike got stolen, right, that we had just given it to him, right, his apartment, right? So I sent back another mail to him, and I says, Micah, Right, we're a couple of years behind on Christmas presents to you. Can I buy you a new bike? First meeting, right, we've had in four years with Micah. We go, we meet, we buy his bike. And this begins the re-engagement of our family with Micah. Micah still has a long, long way to go. He is nowhere near God. But I'll tell you, after four years of separation of a son, my heart changed with respect to how our father feels about his prodigal children the children who have walked away from him, who just say, no, I'm not interested in talking to you anymore. So we're beginning our journey back with Micah uh, into our family. So that's our four children, our family, our two grandchildren. Now, I want to bring you back to this period of time where we're working full-time, going to school full-time, now a family full-time. This is what I call the juggling years. And we have a, a book that you're all going to get here before you leave called The Juggling Act that talks about this uh, juggling things. And I want to quickly just give you three of the things, and there's a bunch more in the book, about how to live a life as a juggler. And any of you, right, who are successful, capable, right, in the workplace, right, in the marketplace today, what is your most precious resource? Time. You don't have enough of it. And the workplace, all those other things demand more of it because you're good, you're capable, you're motivated, all those type of things. And how do you make it all fit? At age 31, as Skip mentioned, I had just become a vice president at Intel. I had written my first book. How many of you read my first book? Programming the 8386. 
It's a thriller. You turn on paging in the last chapter. Woo! Yeah. But I've written my first book. I got my first patents. I'm an inventor. I'm a vice president. Life is going good. But I got to this period of total aimlessness. Now what am I going to do? And out of that, I developed in reading, studying, being challenged, the mission statement. Because we make plans for everything we do in life. But do you make a plan for life? Do you know where you're going to go? Do you know what you want to do with that most precious resource that God has given you? So the first thing I would challenge you to today, and in the book is my mission statement, but more important than my mission statement is, what is your mission statement? And mine's in here as, what's my mission? What do I want my epitaph to read when I'm done on this earth? What are my values? Right? What are my guardrails? What do I want people say when you meet Pat? What's he like? And finally, specific goals that I want to accomplish in life. And for every one of you who's challenged with this juggling act, what's your mission statement? What are your goals? And then what are your priorities to go live by those goals? And if you haven't done that hard work of writing that down, any path will get you there because you don't know where you want to go. So first, a mission statement. Second, priorities. You know, the God-ordained priorities for life are God-family work. How do almost all of us live? Work, family, God. And so how do you build into your life on a daily basis your priorities? God, put him in the throne every day, your devotion time, your participation with him, service. Family, right? Building those things that you do, those guardrails into your life. It says family is number two. And then finally, work. And we know that work in a place like Silicon Valley was all consuming. So, and you know, in the book, there's lots of things I talk about in that respect, but just one of them, and for a geeky, right, Silicon Valley audience like this, Linda and I started the at-home chart, right? And the idea of the at-home chart is keeping score. And for a goal-oriented guy like me, I need a score, right? I need a win, I need a goal, right? And the at-home chart, if I was home by 6.15, I got one point. If I was home by five o'clock, I got two points, Woohoo! right? If I was gone on a weekend, that was minus points. Right? And if I was home after 6.15.0, so that's the numerator, the denominator is the number of workdays. And my secretary would produce a spreadsheet and send it to Linda and I once a month. <laughs> yeah, you know, an independent score, right? Because we used to argue. She'd say, you haven't been home much. I'd say, yes, I have. No, you haven't. Yeah. So we were arguing about the data, right? right? Now we got the data. Now we can have, oh, I don't feel like you've been home. Oh, that's totally different, right? <laughs> So we kept score, and so now we have you know, almost 30 years of the average, the mean, the median, the rolling average, the skew, the kurtosis, right? You know, right? You know, and now when we say, yeah, I've been home. So I'd sit at the end of our street some nights at 6.10 on the cell phone, 6.11. Okay, got to go. Bam, you know, up the street, get in, because I am getting a point, baby. I'm not going to miss it. Your kids don't care what time you leave in the morning. They care an awful lot. 6 to 9 p.m. Those are the golden hours of family. And of many other things, how do, you, how do you date your wife? How do you date your kids? How do you make sure those things are part of your priorities on an ongoing, consistent basis? And the third of the juggling rules, some help along the way. In 1984, I was in charge of taping out the 386, and you know, that's this final big assembly of the database of the chip, and I'm just a junior engineer at Intel at the time, and uh, you know, I had a presentation to give to the executive staff of Intel. 
This is Andy Grove, Gordon Moore, Bob Noyce, you know, the inventor of the transistor, right? You know, the uh, uh, founder, you know, one of the, found, the founders of uh, uh, Intel, some of the most famous decorated men of Silicon Valley today. And I'm dweeb engineer presenting to, right, the gods of Silicon Valley. And I give this presentation. I'm really confrontational with them. You know, this is what you need to do if you're going to help me get my chip out the door. And I'm just, you know, I mean, you know, what a little arrogant, you know, little thing I was. But uh, uh, they were reasonably impressed. And a few days later, I'm working in my office, and I didn't want to be interrupted. And I get this phone call. So finally, you know, ring, ring, ring. You know, those old phones that used to actually ring, right? You know, so I pick it up, right? Who is it? Andy. Andy who? <laughs> Andy Grove. <laughs> and, you know, finally I sort of, yeah, right, and he says, I was impressed by your presentation the other day. Oh, good, I can't even talk now. Um, right, you know, what do you read? What are you studying? What's your career plans? And so on. He starts shelling me with these questions. Right, and I was barely able to think. I mean, I was so beside myself. Right, and he says, be in my office in a week with better ones. You know, the president and founder of the company says, be in his office in a week, you have two choices, show up or leave the country, baby, you know? <laughs> so I show up, and this began a mentoring relationship that's, you know, literally, I just saw Andy a couple of weeks ago, right? You know, and Andy is the kind of guy that mentoring with him is like going to the dentist without Novocaine. <laughs> you know, you're, if you're 95% right, right, you're wrong. Right, you know, brutal, tough, hard, but he makes you better. And as you're going through this period of juggling and you know, career and balance, you need people like an Andy Grove who are tough, hard, but are going to make you better. Right? You need those mentors. And I think biblically speaking, you'd say a Barnabas, right? a Paul, and a Timothy. A buddy, somebody to walk the journey with. A Paul, somebody to pour into your life. And finally, a Timothy, where you're pouring into their life as well. So a mission statement, priorities mentors, some help along the way, some things that might help you in this challenge of the juggling act. Now, one of the things, if you go and read the book and read some of the things in the mission statement that uh, Linda and I have listed there uh, for ourselves and our family, one of them is about money. And the New Testament speaks more on wealth than any other topic in the New Testament other than salvation. So money is real important to God. You live in the wealthiest place on earth. You know that? The wealthiest place on earth is right here, Silicon Valley. Do you know that you also live amongst a bunch of stingy misers? That the Bay Area, as measured, um, you know, uh, 366 metro areas in the U.S., the average giving of Silicon Valley is 3.6%. Average of California is 4.4%, uh, and the nation is 5%. So we are surrounded by wealthy misers. I think some of you are in that bucket, too. Our, gen our wealth has not become our generosity. A number of years ago, Linda and I were at a conference. The man spoke, uh, Wayne Bigelow, and he laid out this concept, right? And he says, right, you know, that he and his wife had committed to increasing the percentage that they gave to philanthropy every year. So, you know, Linda and I, you know, hey, the tithe, okay, we got that. But we became convicted about this. So we said every year we're going to increase our giving of our gross income by 1%. That was over 30 years ago. So you can do the math. So we're now over 40% of our gross income every year that we are giving to charity. I would simply challenge you this morning to radical philanthropy. 
right? That we would change the perspective of the Bay Area from rich misers, right, to wealthy philanthropists who are committed to not just changing the Bay Area, but changing the world because of our overflowing generosity. Chip mentioned this idea of TBC. I'd been at Intel for 30 years. We did 10 years in the Bay Area where Linda and I met. Linda said, you know, she wanted to get out of the Bay Area. I wanted to get out of the Bay Area. I mean, you guys are all cool, but we wanted to get out of here, right? So, uh, you know, we moved to Oregon to raise our family. We lived up there for 20 years uh, with Intel to raise our family. Uh, Joe Tucci, the chairman of EMC, came uh, to me uh, in uh, April of 2009 about joining EMC. So I go to Linda and I says, Linda, how about we think about this? Her immediate answer was no. It wasn't let's pray about it, let's talk about it. You know, it's just no, right? We had our, our daughter had just moved to China, right? Elizabeth lived in China for you know, five years as a school teacher, so she was just leaving. Our two sons were getting married that summer, right? And we were empty nesting. And the idea of changing jobs and changing coasts Right, was like, what's the matter with you, hubby? Right, you know, I mean, yeah, this is just over the top on the emotion meter. So right, that was in April of 2009. In July, Linda said yes to the job before I did. So we began a journey. We moved out of there. So we moved to the East Coast, three years in uh, Boston uh, for EMC after 30 years at Intel. I'll tell you, when you've been someplace for 30 years, you don't know where you end and it starts. Right, I mean, I still have a hard time not doing the Intel bong when I go to bed at night. But do do do, right? It's a... Now, when we left the Bay Area, we did not want to come back to the Bay Area. I mean, you guys are crazy here, right? We wanted a place that was, you know, more rural, raise our family, uh, and so on. And when the idea of the VMware job came back, it was sort of like, oh man. You know, being CEO for VMware, cool job, but you know, Linda wasn't sure about moving back to the Bay Area and what are you up to, God? And then two things happened, right? We accept the job, and one of them was our son and daughter-in-law had moved back here, and you already met Georgiana, so they're in Gilroy. So if you want a happy wife, have a grandbaby nearby. Good plan, it just works. So we moved back here, right, Georgiana. Linda has a grandbaby here. She has a grandbaby in Oregon where we still keep a home, so this is good. But the second thing is, I felt very compelled that there was not just a CEO job for me in the Bay Area, but a much higher calling for me in the Bay Area. That I have a profound platform. VMware is now the fifth largest software company in the world, one of the hot companies of the Bay Area. This is a platform, right, of great significance. And I come to this area filled with wealthy misers, with one of the lowest percentage churched right, in the nation, that is highly innovative, highly influential on the world, that is socially inept, crime rates, failure rates in schools, right, as bad as any place in the nation. What a dramatic dichotomy. And from this, we started this idea of TBC, transforming the Bay with Christ. And I also noticed that, man, we got some incredibly nationally known Christian figures here and many powerful Christian business leaders in the Bay Area. Can't we come together right, to say, let us change the Bay Area? You know, people like Chick Vingram, Francis Chan, uh, John Orkberg, nationally known, powerful business leaders, Kevin Compton. You know, promote Hawk, some of the most successful venture capitalists in the industry. My dear friend and now colleague at VMware, uh, Sanjay Poonin and Herman, you know, just this incredible thing. Can't we come together 
and agree that we are going to be in prayerful relationships with each other, that we're going to change the perspective of the church. The church today is seen in one of two ways in Silicon Valley. It's either an evolutionary leftover that isn't necessary for any quality scientific mind, so irrelevant, or it's an extreme agenda of the political right, and something I'm not interested in. We have to change the perception of the church. The church, Christ's holy choice for how he's going to transform the area. And we're going to do that by service, by serving the bay, and then just increasing right, the population of the church, of Christians, the number of churches in the Bay Area. Because I believe that we have been, you are so wealthy, you are so talented and fortunate in this area, but there comes in Scripture a great, frightening command. Luke 12, 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. You have been entrusted with much. In summary, today, be hot for the kingdom of God. Hopefully some of these juggling skills will allow you to be more powerful, effective, and influential where you are. I challenge you to radical philanthropy. And finally, join with me in transforming the bay with Christ. Thank you. And that's all the time that we have today for the Ministry of the Week Sunday message here on KFAX. It has been our privilege this past week to be highlighting the ministry of the Silicon Valley Prayer Breakfast, as well as uh, the work of Skip Vaccarello, who is an author and a speaker, former CEO of uh, some high-tech firms, and uh, God blessed him in ministry in such a way that he's now able to just be doing some of the some of the stuff I love to do, which is shining a light on, on where God is at work, where God's showing up. And uh, he named his blog that, Finding God in Silicon Valley and Sharing Stories of Faith. Uh, the blog took off, and he was able to, to write a book by that same name, Finding God in Silicon Valley. Uh, you can find that. Just Google that term, Finding God in Silicon Valley. You'll find the book as well as links to the prayer breakfast, which is this Friday, April 1st, svpb.net svpb for Silicon Valley Prayer Breakfast.net. See if they still have some tickets available. And uh, you can find out uh, also this message you've just heard, as well as others from years past at the Silicon Valley Prayer Breakfast. There's videos there to watch some amazing testimonies of uh, business leaders uh, from around the Bay who have come to speak at the Prayer Breakfast. Uh, you know, each week we take time to highlight a church or a ministry in order to get you connected and growing uh, in a local congregation and and serving in a ministry. Maybe you have attended a really small church and there's really not a service opportunity. Sometimes a ministry like this that we've talked about this past week can uh, really reshape or remold your faith in a way that you begin to see uh, the work that I do all week really can be my ministry to the Lord. Uh, that's our goal here at KFAX, is to see people plugged in and growing in local congregations and growing in their daily walk with Christ. We're always careful to remind people that we are not here to replace their participation in a local body of believers, but rather to supplement your faith all week long. If you need help finding a local congregation, please get in touch with me. Uh, you can find my contact information over at our website, KFAX. Dot com. And then join us again tomorrow at this at 7.35 p.m. or again at 10.35 p.m. as we'll be highlighting a new ministry. 
And uh, at the same time next week, the Ministry of the Week Sunday message will highlight a sermon or a message from that church or ministry. And we hope that until then, you enjoy the rest of your Sunday and the rest of this week. May it be filled with the worship of the living Christ. Grace and peace to you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.